As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. Hey, good evening, and uh, we are, this is the, I think, uh, the sixth study on, uh, yeah, sixth study on the book of Revelation. And uh, in the current context, it's a good book to read uh, because uh, there's a lot of confusion often about uh, whether these are the last days or not. And sometimes you wonder as to why this is not the last days. Also, because we hear of so much of suffering around the place. And uh, with this COVID thing, once again, the numbers uh, are going up. Uh, there are a lot of questions as to when we will be back to normal. And uh, again, just this evening, I got news that uh, I think of one family in Chennai who lost their loved one uh, just uh, Two days ago, I think, three days ago. I'm not, I think it was, I saw the funeral of this person who was a very active member in the UESI. Just this evening, I got a message saying his mother-in-law passed away. They were all infected and the mother-in-law died. So two deaths and uh, both of them are going to be difficult. You know, the first death we saw the funeral that the family was just standing there when the body was brought, they saw the body uh, all under cover uh, and now today or tomorrow right I'm not sure whether it's today the other funeral will take place and uh, you know it's so difficult when you have one after another uh, and you know many families even as we are talking are going through the pain uh, Paul Swaroop's uh, mother-in-law died yesterday for those of us who know Paul father-in-law died yesterday Paul was telling me that uh, he was on his way from Gujarat where he went for his winter break because they find the winter in Delhi so difficult. He's got a sister there and then on his way he came via Delhi and somewhere on the journey he picked up uh, the COVID and he was sick and for the last 10 days he was in the ICU. And uh, so there's a whole world outside which is going through pain. And, uh, you know, we are privileged if we don't have pain. Uh, but then there are other kinds of pain. Tomorrow morning, I would be joining a group of people praying for Myanmar. And uh, from the field, the report is really bad. There are, uh, you know, there's a lot happening there and just a massacre. And what they say is what is reported is much, much lesser than what is happening. And then... We have the nations surrounding Myanmar, which are more interested in their foreign policy rather than the humanitarian concern. And we need to pray, we need to pray. I think uh, if there is something that the book of Revelation would challenge us to do, is not to sit and do some stargazing, but actually challenge us to pray. If the book of Revelation doesn't cause us to pray, I think there is something wrong in the reading of that book because John definitely 
at the end of the book of Revelation, he says, come soon, Lord Jesus, come soon. It ends with a prayer. And, uh, and I think it is very important that we, when we look around what is happening, and uh, not just global, not just the disease, there are a lot of things happening. I know that uh, JMU itself has been going through major crisis in terms of its administration, and uh, we're seeing this in our country. And uh, I think it's always good to keep some kind of an anchor, which helps us to uh, find our way. And uh, sometimes when we are not able to maneuver, you know, like the ship that got stuck at the Suez Canal, uh, we block away for many other people, you know. For the last 10 days, I think that ship was stuck in a place which was very crucial area. And I think as the body of Christ, as the church, we need to make sure that we are not the ones who are stopping people from en enjoying and experiencing God in the present situation. So this book of Revelation is a great book to read. Uh, we may not understand, I think, uh, we may know that we can arrange the book, we can outline the book, we can know all the facts that are there, but an interpretation of the book of Revelation would always be difficult. And uh, because as we saw, I think in the Latin chapter uh, 10, uh, where it says, the mystery of the Lord of God will be accomplished. Uh, the word mystery being used there is a very clear fact that the book of Revelation is actually the opening of that mystery. And it concludes at the end of it, which after 10 saying the mystery is to be accomplished, there will be no more delay. Now, how much of a mystery we can actually understand is always a big issue because even the coming of Jesus which was part of this mystery, because Peter writing about the mystery says the prophets who wrote it, you know, they wanted to find out what is that they were prophesying, but they themselves didn't understand. They only prophesied. They didn't understand. And finally, when Jesus came, it was interesting, even though they expected, they had no idea as to how it would look like. Now, part of that mystery, uh, Jesus himself used the word when he talked about the kingdom of God, and he said the mystery, you know, you've been given the privilege of knowing the mystery. So I believe that the book of Revelation is a part of that mystery being revealed. And it's not a book that can be understood by casual reading. And even with a very thorough, studied reading of the book, much of it, will be only understood when it is finally happening, you know, before us. But it's a good book to read. It's a good book to read because if you look at the Old Testament, after the book of Malachi, which ended with, you know, talking about the mystery that a messenger will come. Now for the next 400 years, what happened is all that the people of Israel had even though they were out of their own country and uh, they were in, uh, for 70 years, they were in Babylon. What kept them going is that the mystery that God revealed will happen. They knew it will happen. 
400 years is a long period. Some of us are finding the last five years itself so difficult. And imagine if we have to go in the present situation for another 25 years or even beyond us, another generation and beyond us, another generation. What keeps them going 400 years to continue to persist was purely the hope that they had, which was given to them by that mystery that was revealed by the prophets. So if there's anything that can keep us going are the prophetic books and Revelation is part of that prophetic books. It is a book that was written not to give uh, John a kind of uh, timetable about things are going to end tomorrow morning, but to say persist, persevere. And I think that is why this book is a great book to read. We've come almost to, I wouldn't say the end of the book, but the end of the last section. Because as I said last time, if we stop for a short while in chapter 12 and 13, where John in the midst of all the, you know, hearing the trumpets being blown and all those things, the seals being opened, he was taken for a short while to see, he says, a sign in heaven. And that's what we saw in chapter 12, when he said about a sign that he saw, two things he says, a sign, a great sign appeared. And it was basically John being given the privilege of knowing what was happening behind the scene. And if you remember, it was something about a woman who was uh, fighting a dragon or a dragon trying to fight the woman. The woman was not fighting. And she had a baby and the dragon was waiting to consume the child, but the child was taken off to heaven. And then we know what happened afterwards that uh, the woman was taken again and the dragon was thrown out of heaven and the dragon started going after all the offspring. And that was basically what John was told. What is happening in earth is the anger of the devil because the dragon is defined as Satan. And when Satan fell, his one thing was to ensure that God's work and God's character will be defiled on earth. So he got everybody. And there are different expressions we saw in chapter 13, uh, chapter 10 about, uh, you know, chapter 13, about the devil, the dragon giving authority to two beasts and the beasts doing miracles and deceiving people and putting a mark on the forehead of people, trying to impose a loyalty and in fact, uh, loyalty by which the entire infrastructure of the world was under control of the beast. In so much so, it says that people who do not have the mark could not sell or buy unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast. And so that's where we ended. We saw that the, John was able to see what was happening in terms of what happened before and seeing it as a warfare. And very important for us, before I move on, to see that the enmity that the devil has towards God continues to be seen in the world. And it almost gives you a feeling that the devil is winning. And uh, that's what happens, you know, because when we see millions of people walking away from God 
and the moral standards of the world going down and the world becoming more violent, more unequal world. And we almost feel as though, you know, it's over. You know, the devil is actually winning. In fact, it is true that in the long, long run, when we look back, and the Bible is very clear that the road towards God is a very narrow God, narrow road. So we're not expecting the whole lot of people, you know, to join God because it is a choice. But eventually, the truth is that the devil will be defeated. And what is the pointer towards that is what happened 2000 years ago on the cross. You see, what is happening today is nothing compared to what happened. And this week, we take time to meditate on what God did for us in Jesus Christ. You can imagine when Jesus was crucified and he was dying. Perhaps that would have been the highest point in the devil's excitement of his plan. Because here he was finally making sure that the very son of man, God himself, would go through death. And he hoped that death will be permanent. Jesus said that in a very interesting parable of a man who rented out his vineyard to some people. And then he sent people to collect the fruit and they would not listen to them. They killed, in fact, they killed some of the people who were sent. Finally, he sent his son hoping that they would listen. But what happened is that they killed the son also. And they thought that was the end of the story now that they killed the son. Jesus said that in illustration. But they forgot that the father will act. And so when Jesus died on the cross, perhaps devil thought that was the end. But he forgot that the death of a person who is innocent would mean that death itself will be defeated. And I think it's a very important part of our learning even this week as we look at it, because if Good Friday and Easter cannot create hope in our hearts, nothing else can. You know, no use reading Revelation a hundred times. Revelation is celebration of that hope because of what happened on Good Friday. We know that the mystery will be accomplished. But the book of Revelation helps us perhaps when we look outside, it's like a journey that we are given a chance to see. And when we are actually in the journey, it's like watching a movie of a place that you have not seen. You know, Selena and I, you know, these are days on lockdown when we do things uh, on watching television, which uh, perhaps we never had time, you know, with our children trying to educate us as parents to watch some movies for a break. You know, we have been watching some movies and especially my son and my daughter but also I like to watch some documentaries and one of the, and, one, and many times it is also food channel. And I was watching one guy by name, I think Mark something. And, uh, and so he goes to different countries and countries which uh, I have not visited and many people, some of us may have visited but many of those countries we have, I have not seen. So when you watch carefully, you know, you're watching it and he takes us to the gullies and all the narrow lanes and eats, it takes us to eating places. Those are good to watch. But if I were to get an opportunity later sometime to travel to this place and I go to the same town, 
I would look when I see something. I said, "Hey, I remember this. I remember this place." And then, till I come to the place, the movie is a movie. But when I actually go there and then I see that building, I will recognize. I remember this guy went through this lane, and I'll know that next to that restaurant, there's a small lane through which he went, and there is a house on the left side where he stopped. Now, because I watched the movie carefully, sometimes I would have forgotten. I may not have watched it in detail, so I may not remember. But when I actually go to the place, if I'd seen the movie fresh, I would be able to recognize. That's what the Book of Revelation is given. It's like a movie, you know. And until we are going through that situation, you know, many of the facts are not very clear. But when we go through that situation, It's clear, but even if we don't go through the situation, some are very straight and obvious. So we've come to that section, starting with chapter fourteen, when more things fall into place. Till now, what we saw were very was very very general. It was about trumpets being blown or seals being opened and punishment happening, judgment on earth. But now we've come to that section where there are certain things which are much more. Uh, clearly defined, and which uh, is not as clear earlier. You know, clearly earlier it would be earthquakes and happenings in the sky, and uh, you know things happening in the world, and you know sickness and wars. Now those are things which are so general that we can never uh, identify whether we are anywhere close to the end. But now onwards, what we are going to see is some more specific things. Which uh, is very important for us when we read through, and uh, it and like for instance when Jesus was born, when Herod asked the scribes, "Where is he that is the King of the Jews? Where will he be born?" They didn't know much. They read this clause, but they were able to identify one. They said in Bethlehem, which meant there was little somewhere in the Scripture. But if you read the Old Testament. you know that verse which they refer to saying in bethlehem is one of these small you know one of those verses which comes in the context of some some other situation but they were able to identify so there are certain pointers which uh, are very important so we will see that so and but what it so far we have seen and what we will continue to see is that fact that what happens on earth earth actually is something that is directed by what happens in heaven that is something that we need to recognize in the book of revelation as we approach the end we will find that being much more pronounced the second thing that we noticed is that much of what happens on earth is actually defined by what happens in heaven in the context of worship which means you know like for instance you know when a case is brought to the supreme court there is always an expectation because when the supreme court meets we know they are going to make some decisions which are going to have great consequence that's how supreme court is supposed to be it may not be always and so what happens is revelation says when worship happens in heaven at the end of it like in chapter 5 and chapter 6 what chapter 4 and chapter 5 the seal was opened and then again there is worship and then the trumpets are blown and so interesting thing is that worship in heaven is a very important activity where god announces 
you know, it's not like, you know, where we have our announcement on a television program, but there it is actually flows out of the judgment seat of God. And what is interesting in the book of Revelation is that it is not simply a worship in which angels are worshiping, but actually those who have gone before us, especially most of them who had gone because they were killed for the sake of the faith, have a very important role in that worship in heaven. So they cry out and say, how long, O Lord, how long? And so we will find that worship in heaven is not simply a lot of singing, but there's also the hearing of the cry of the saints who have gone before. And so God answers that question, how long, O Lord, how long? And not just the cry of the people, but the cry of those of us on earth. Because if you remember in chapter 8, it says the prayers of the saints was collected and taken to heaven. So what happens is worship in heaven has got many participants. There are the angels, the 12 elders, there are 140,000 people, there are multitudes who join, people who have gone before, who have lost their life for the gospel. And then there, has, there is the worship of God's people on earth who cry out to God to say, God, how long will it take place? How long will this take place? And so take worship very seriously. I'm not saying the kind of entertainment worship we have these days. I'm talking about private worship and collective worship where we cry out to God. Because what happens on earth is actually because of the decisions made in heaven. And then the third thing that we noticed is that in the context of all the judgments that take place in the world, one important thing that is guaranteed is God protects his righteous people. And that's over and over again. He puts right at the beginning, just before the fifth trumpet, I think, was blown or the sixth seal was opened, there was a pause in heaven. And the angels were waiting for the next step. And they were told to wait till God put a mark on the forehead of those people who belong to him. And uh, it doesn't mean that they won't go through pain because the beast and the dragon were all doing things by which people will be persecuted. But when God's judgment is announced, these people who have the mark of God on their forehead were protected. And that's very important to know. While the persecution increases, God's judgment on the world will definitely not be aimed at God's people. God will protect. That was something that we noticed. And also, very often, in the midst of what happens in Revelation, there is this statement, God did this to vindicate those who had suffered. And so God's judgment is also a vindication. Sometimes we feel when we go through all the problems, how long? And God, when will you vindicate the suffering of your people? Not just your people, through people who are oppressed. And so Revelation says God's action is a vindication. It's not simply God acting to defeat the devil, but also to vindicate those who have trusted in him. So now we come to the last section. So what I want to do today is look at chapter 14 and 16, 14 to 16. And after that, 17 to 19 is one particular section, a very important component. 17 to 19, we are suddenly introduced to 
an entity called Babylon. And uh, that Babylon is a very central piece in the final part of our history. Now, I am not of the opinion that Babylon is a nation. I think Babylon is a system. And it's a very interesting system which holds everything together. We'll look at it the next time. But today I want to look at 14 to 16. Because here, as I said, again, it is merely, it is largely the final stages of the judgment. And so what happens is chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, again begins with worship in heaven. It says, the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. There was a new song in heaven. And that's very beautiful. You know, I love this phrases on new songs. You know, heaven is not singing the songs that Daniel, that David wrote. It's constantly singing new songs. And interestingly, it says that the sound I heard was like a harpist. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. A very interesting verse. A new song in heaven, but not maybe sung by, but a song that could be learned only by those who are redeemed from the earth. What a lovely phrase. You know, heaven has no place for songs which are song, sung for artistic beauty, but it is a place where songs are sung by those who have experienced God. You know, you go to our church, we have worship groups and we have others who do singing as though it is a performance. But that's not why we're in heaven. He says nobody could learn the song other than those who were redeemed because they had a personal experience of God. And what an important aspect. In heaven, every song that is sung would be that which is born out of our experience of God. You know, it's not because the music is good and we like the sound, which is all okay. But in the midst of all the worship, it says the song will be sung by those or at least learned by those who have been redeemed. And then let me move on. Then chapter 14, verse 6 onwards, until the end of 16th chapter, there is something which, uh, again, the judgment begins. And what is clear in Revelation, which we can't miss out, is that it's a book of judgment. Now, judgment is not something that we generally like. You know, we live in a world and a system in which uh, we want to deny that God will judge the world. You know, of course, we expect certain people to be judged. We don't expect people like Hitler or uh, Pol Pot or you know, some of these people who have caused a lot of pain to be finding mercy from God. We expect God to punish them. But then we don't think God would punish everybody. And that is why in the Christian community, there is sometimes a problem with uh, us trying to be very compassionate and very, uh, you know, absor including, every including everybody or being inclusive. That's the right word. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't. But on the other hand, Revelation says, God is serious about his character. 
God is very serious about his values. Any violation of it. And that is why we have to take it very seriously. Because as we see Revelation, we know there are wicked people who will be punished. But unfortunately, the wicked are not the only ones who will be punished. Whole mankind, large number of people, even those who may not be directly the oppressors, but those who have rejected God are going to be punished. And that puts a lot of responsibility. As I was reading through this and thinking about it and listening to some talks, what struck me was the fact that Revelation says God is serious about judgment. And if God is serious about judgment, you and I will have to take seriously every relationship that we have because we don't know, you know when death will come but we may be held responsible for not taking seriously the judgment of God in the life. So we, we may be in, but we have a responsibility. And I think it's very important when we read the gospel of, uh, you know, the, when you read the book of Revelation. I was reading to, I was listening to a talk on Revelation chapter 16, you know, in, in my study in preparation. And this person is a pastor in the US and uh, and he was saying, you know, God places us in very strategic locations. And he's a pastor in uh, of a church in Las Vegas. And he said when he introduces himself, when he goes for conferences and they said, what are you doing? Or and he's in a plane and they ask him, you know, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a pastor. And they ask where? And he says, Las Vegas. And they have a big laugh as though, you know, you have a church in Las Vegas. And he says, there's not just one church, there are hundreds of churches. And he said, God has placed us there for a purpose. You know, because Las Vegas, he said, is a city, many people, when they have to uh, actually give an example of modern day Sodom and Gomorrah, they refer to Las Vegas. He said, that's what they refer to. And he said, it may be, but he said, my prayer is that one day, Las Vegas would be not known for a place or like Sodom and Gomorrah, but a place of grace. And I think what he said was very important. When we read Revelation in the midst of all the judgment, we look at the world and say, God, I know you're going to judge the world. But like you told Abraham, if there are 10 righteous people, you will save the city. And when, you know, looking at many of us, you know, you know who have uh, been involved with JNUCF, you know, it may not be the best place in the world. You know, it, it definitely academically, it was known to be best. I don't know whether it still is, but I think it is. But on the other hand, remember that every institution will go through judgment. Every person will go through judgment. And your presence in that place is that which can correct that situation. And so when we read Revelation, it's clear that judgment is real. And so we find here that the judgment begins. And there are three angels. It starts. Actually, they all are making proclamation. Verse 6 onwards, we find till verse 13. In fact, till verse 9 are three announcements. But what is so beautiful is the way that these angels... Now, it's the last scene, as I said, before Babylon is destroyed. It says, firstly, I saw another angel flying in the midair. And he had the eternal gospel 
to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, hear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. What a lovely picture. In the midst of all that we have seen, the seals being opened, the trumpets being blown, and the whole punishment on God, there is still a time for God to send an angel to call people to turn towards him. And I think that is very important because it doesn't matter how bad the world is. God doesn't close the door. And that's a very important lesson in Revelation because it doesn't matter our situation. You know, it, 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 it's a bad situation, but not beyond God's mercy. And even here, the message is, fear God, give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. There is a call to turn towards God. Then the next angel announces the next thing that is going to happen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We'll look at that next study as to what is this Babylon all about. But definitely some kind or either a nation or a system that had all the nations under its grip. In fact, it is the very embodiment of what the dragon and the beast will use. We'll see that. And we need to see that very carefully when we come next time. Then a third angel followed him and announced, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on the forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the land. We look at these pictures, pictures later on, but what it says is that the next announcement is that all those who have proved, who have confessed their loyalty to the devil, who took on them, themselves the mark of, of the devil, either on their forehead or on their arm, it says, you know, as it says, they will have no, they will, who had received the mark of the devil on their forehead or on their hand, they will be tormented. And then the message that comes to John to say to the church, this calls for patient endurance on the part of God, people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to God. Then I heard a voice from heaven said, write this, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. You know, it's come towards the end. There are a lot of people who will die either through persecution or just that, but they are blessed. And it says, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Then in verses 14 onwards, again, before the you know, uh, action takes place in terms of the seven bowls, it said that you know, he sees again, God acting and the judgment is given picture, picture of judgment is a sickle, a harvesting. So it says in verse 15, another angel came out of the temple called in a loud voice to him who was sitting in the cloud 
you know, there's God sitting in the heavens. It says here in verses 14, you know, seated in the cloud was one like the son of man. And then an angel announces that take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. If you remember, Jesus used the imagery of harvesting time when it talks about judgment, when the weeds and the tares are separated. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And then the angel, then still another angel comes out, say, take your sharp sickle, sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's wine because its grapes are ripe. And so what happened, the imagery of judgment is the imagery of harvest. And Jesus said where the harvest is where the weeds and the grains will be separated and those who have you know, worked against God will be harvested out and God will cut them out and punish them. So basically that's what is going to happen. And then chapter 15 and 16 are the final judgments on the earth. And it says here, it is given again in a picture of angels coming and announcing seven plagues. And again, as I told you, there is worship in chapters 15, verses 1 to verse 4. And uh, basically, there is uh, recognition. And that's another thing in heaven. There's a constant recognition of faithfulness to God. You know, sometimes when you're faithful to God, we wonder whether it is worth it or not. But heaven recognizes. And it says here in verse 2, I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, those who took a stand against the beast, you know, against the systems of the world which were claiming loyalty to themselves. And they held harps given to them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of nations. And the song goes on. And as soon as that was done, I looked and I saw in heaven. And heaven was opened. And then we begin to see, which is the final judgment, in terms of seven bowls which are going to be dropped. I'm not going to read all the details from chapter 16. It talks about seven bowls of God's wrath, which were dropped on the earth. The first bowl went and the first angel poured the bowl on the land and ugly festering of sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Again, if you remember in Egypt, there was specific punishment given to people and uh, the Egyptians were punished and the Hebrews were not punished. So it is possible for God even in the midst of a nation where there are a lot of people living to separate the righteous and to punish the unrighteous. And then the second angel poured out the bowl and it turned the blood like that of dead person. It turned the sea into blood and every living thing on the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. You know, the drinking water becomes blood. Just like in Egypt when the people of Israel were there. And then listen to these words. There is a song which says, 
you are just in these judgments o lord you who are and who were for they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve these are people who killed the people who they killed the prophets and they kill they shed the blood and now they will drink blood in their water and i heard the altar respond yes the lord god almighty true and just at your judgments it's punishment time it's punishment time those who shed blood will drink blood and uh, that's what happened like in egypt the water turned into blood and then the fourth angel he poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was followed to scorch the scorch the people with fire and what is interesting is that all that is happening is very painful on those who had the mark of the beast but then there is this verse verse 9 and later on in verse 11 they were seared by intensity they cursed the name of god who had control over these plagues but they refused to repent and glorify him and again in chapter in the sixth same chapter in verse 11 people were they says the people gnawed their tongues in agony cursed the god of heaven because of their pains but they refused to repent for what they had done you know god announced good news and then he sends pain but pain didn't turn people towards god that's a sad part that's a sad part instead of turning towards god seeing all the suffering they in fact cursed god and then the sixth angel does something which is as i told you something specific now you know which uh, we can connect to it says in the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east what is interesting is that in the book of revelation towards the end there is a war and we will look at it later in a place called armageddon and uh, from the book of revelation the armageddon is somewhere i think uh, to be fought in closer to or in israel itself we don't know we'll look at it later but to go there and the big picture there is all the nations of the world will come there to fight against god and uh, Euphrates is a very important river. If you remember in Genesis chapter one, you know when God created the earth, the Euphrates and uh, you know the uh, two rivers, Tigris was mentioned in the Garden of Eden. Now these two rivers are significant rivers even today for the nation Iraq. It's on two sides of Iraq. In fact, that's a main water supply. But since two thousand nine, the river which has existed for so many years. has started to become dry and uh, so that is something that is almost like saying tigris will never you know it's like saying you know euphrates will never get dry because it's been the supply for so long now of course there are political reasons one of course is the climate change second is the fact that turkey is refusing to send the water to iraq so but since the last 11 years Euphrates is becoming dry and dry and dry it's a drought affected area and i was watching some of the videos so that i wanted to see more and i read you know i the attention i you know what caught my attention 
was an article I think I read in 2012 or something, when I think it was New York Times saying, is it the biblical uh, uh, you know, end times, Euphrates is becoming dry. Now, uh, I'm not sure about the significance as far as geology is concerned, but definitely as far as Bible is concerned, it says Euphrates will become dry. And that mainly because it becomes uh, the pathway for all the nations that are moving towards the place Armageddon for the battle. So it says here, I saw then in the context, he says they were dried up. I saw three impure spirits. It says in verse 13, which looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of false prophets. They are demonic spirits. They perform signs. They go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them from the battle for the battle in the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so that so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. There's a verse in the middle which says, This is the time. This is the time. Because what's going to happen is that the beast, and it says here, the dragon and the false prophets. Their mouths are going to play a very important part. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they, their main task is to influence the kings of the whole world. Now we are beginning to see here the very powerful place that nation states will play towards the end of history. There was a time, I suppose, in many years, in recent years, when nation states were almost, you know, I read about, uh, you know, books which talked about the place of uh, the large, uh, you know, corporates or the multinationals. The multinationals became more powerful than the nation states. But towards the end of history, the nation states will become powerful. And later on, we'll see how the nation states and the market will work in hand in hand as instruments of the devil and the beast, because that's going to be the instrument. Nation states with its power and the market with its ability to control production is going to be a very important instrument of the beast. And it says they all came, they gathered the kings together to the place in Hebrew, which is called Armageddon. The seventh angel then poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, which said, it is done. It's almost like Jesus' words on the cross when he said, it is finished. It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, severe earthquake. No earthquake like it was had ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the earthquake. earthquake. It says no earthquake had ever happened. We have not seen anything like what we are going to see. That's what it's clear. It says the great city. Now we are not sure which city. It just says great city. Bible scholars would say perhaps it has to do with Israel because in the scripture, the Israel plays a very important part. The land Israel, and you'll find that in the book of Revelation, split into three parts. And the cities of the nations collapsed. 
you know, the cities of the nations, not just this one city, but the cities of the nation, the breakdown of urban structures. And it says, God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with wine and the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains could not be done. Something is going to happen in which you know, land itself was going to experience the destructive hand of God from the sky, huge hailstorms, each weighing about a hundred pounds fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. You know, that's the end of the picture in terms of judgments and uh, which are in terms of things that happen on earth and then in chapter 17 to chapter 19, the destruction of a very important, comp uh, uh, very important part, you know, either a nation or a collection of nations or a system. We look at it next time. But this is towards the end of history. And uh, the basic thing for John was that it was very far removed from his own experience and his time. But God revealed it to him, the mystery. It's going to be a long drawn out battle, especially as Satan and was fighting against God's people. And John was given this picture that in the midst of it, this was the judgment of God, as it says, God, you are true and just in your judgments. And those who shed blood will drink the blood of again, you know, these kind of things. So let me stop now. Revelation is very clear that no drop of blood dropped on earth by oppressive rulers will go unnoticed by God. And the earth rebels, earth rebels, you know, we know, you know, we see here of people going missing and people destroyed, families, uh, you know, being oppressed. There's a lot of bloodshed in this world. You know, I was watching the things in Myanmar. Breaks your heart as to how not just the fact of what happens in Myanmar, how the rest of the world responds. You know, there's a lot of talk, but the world can act, but they can't because there are very powerful countries which have to be pleased. And it's only thing we can do is to say, God, do something about it, do something. John Perash was praying, do something. And God said, I will do something. But the mystery will be accomplished in the time of God. Let me stop now. Do you have any questions, any comments? The book of Revelation is not very long. It's just 21 chapters, 22 chapters. Yeah, 22 chapters. And I think uh, if I have caused uh, appetite for the book, that will be one great thing. You know, you can read it. And if you can make it a point to read it every month, uh, you know, so that just go through it. It doesn't take too long, you know, 22 chapters is not very long. And uh, in fact, as a book uh, for all of us who spend, who read a lot, uh, you know, it's not very difficult, you know, it's just uh, how many pages? Hmm. 19 pages. 19 pages you can read, I think 10 times in a day. Uh, Uncle, I have a question. Um, it, it's rather specific uh, from uh, 
verse 13 of chapter 14, uh, which says, Blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. Uh, yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. I mean, like, I was wondering what would that mean, like, for the deeds following the first people who die? Yeah, of course, uh, you know, when you look at the total scripture, everyone who dies in the Lord are blessed. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Right. So, uh, so it's not something that is limited only to it's this, you know, this time in the history. And secondly, everyone, their deeds will follow them. And uh, Paul right, talks about the deeds being checked by fire. You know, whatever we do will be judged. So it is a general thing that happens for everyone, whether we died from the time of Adam till the end of history. But here it talks about the situation where towards the end you know, uh, of time, when people tend to give up, you know, there would be a lot of pressure to give up. You know, some people have died and lived for God and did well in situations where there is no pressure. You know, my dad, for instance, you know, he died in 1981. And of course, he had pressures, pressures to stand for what he believes. And uh, in, you know, in his own time as a young person and as, you know, the government where he worked. But towards the end of history, the time of the kind of pressure would be either you compromise or you die. You know, and there are people who would have at that time taken a stand for God. And it says about them, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now onwards. You know, I think those who stood, and that must be not just in that time, all through in difficult situations, reading through history of persecution, you find a lot of people who have died who refused to submit to the pressures of the state. And towards the end of history, it will be much more. Is everybody, you know, if, because if there is a mark on the forehead or on the arm, which is, only, which is going to be the only way you have access to buy and sell. Mm -hmm. That means it's going to actually everything we do will be controlled by that. Right. And there will be some people who will prefer not to fit into that system. Maybe they will create their own. I don't know how it is. And those people who resist compromise will definitely be a very special people. That's what it would say. Okay. Any other question, anyone? Okay. We'll close then. And uh, next week when we meet, I want you to read 17 to chapter 20. Or 19, because uh, that's too much towards the end, and uh, our chapter 19, and then that comes to the section where there's a judgment of Satan and the end. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. 
Veritas podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.